Hey everybody, good to see you again. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church. I'm excited to uh, continue in our teaching series called Imprint 2022. Uh, yeah, I think I'm on. I don't know. Am I? Oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> hey, I'm excited to continue our teaching series called Imprint 2022. This is a learning adventure in the classical Christian spiritual disciplines. And this is week number eight. And I'm excited about these next two weeks because today and next Sunday we'll be talking about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Simplicity. This at once is the most in, one of the most interesting to me, but also the most challenging to me. And so this is one of those Sundays, which happens more often than I'd like, I have to stand up here and teach about something that I'm in process with. You know, I have to kind of speak with a voice of authority on something that... Uh, some weeks, some days, I wouldn't give myself a very good score, a very good grade on this stuff. But that's the thing about grace is, man, we're a thing in motion. Our life in Christ is an object in motion. And uh, we're learning, we're growing, we're becoming day by day. I think we fall into a destructive trap when we think we should have arrived already. Well, surprise, you're not going to arrive until the good work that Christ has begun in you is brought to completion in Him. Uh, in the new heaven, new earth, but uh, in the meantime, on pilgrimage, we want to become more and more faithful, more and more like Jesus, uh, moving further up and further in to his kingdom. And so I got, I'm glad to be on that journey with you. And so today we're going to continue and we're going to study a little bit about the inward attitudes of simplicity. So um, you've maybe watched the news. Oh, well, maybe you've seen this before. Back in the old days, uh, I had to put my Bible down because it's going to be interactive here for a second. Uh, back in the old days, if you ever watched like documentaries about mo a movie that was made or filmmaking, sometimes you saw the director doing this. Do you know why they did this? It's to mimic for their eyes the shape of a screen. Okay, so it's like they're seeing what their camera will see as they look at a scene. It cuts out kind of everything else and just look through the scene. So if you do this with your fingers, maybe you've never done this, imagine that you're watching me on a screen. Imagine for a second that I'm on CNN, uh, and all of a sudden you see across the bottom of your screen uh, what's called a Chiron. Breaking news! You know, there was a time when there wasn't always breaking news. <laughs> but on news channels now, it's like 24 hours a day, and there's always breaking news. And it's like something you don't really even care about. It's like Martha Stewart comes out with a new line of bath towels. It's like, that's not breaking news. And there's like been a lawsuit recently about uh, if everything's breaking news, nothing is breaking news. And so I think someone sued CNN about their Chiron always saying, I'm sorry, I'm off track here. But okay, imagine the screen, I'm in it, and all of a sudden there's a Chiron that breaks across the bottom and says, breaking news, the American dream is killing us. The American dream is killing us. This just in. The Americans are tired. The Americans are tired. The, the, the Americans are overspent. The Americans are unhappy. If you saw this breaking news come across the screen, would you believe it? The Americans are officially exhausted, overspent, and unhappy. Never before in human history have we had so much information, so much technology, and so much instant access to everything all the time. At night, in bed, you can look at your phone and have in your hand access to 
the world's information, useful and useless. It's all there. We have more now, more than any other time in human history, access all the time to everything. But at the same time, we have never before felt so much isolation. So much isolation, so much loneliness, so much moral confusion and social fragmentation. There was a phrase many years ago I heard about our time. They said, we live in a state of crowded loneliness. We're crowded in. We're just up to our eyeballs and stuff. Yet in the midst of it, we are crying out for relationship because we are so lonely. We're spread so thin. A sadly familiar story is playing out once again in our world. Our quest for technology and sophistication has attempted to build another Tower of Babel, and it has only led to confusion and scatteredness. And the church, the church, instead of being a refuge, instead of being a sanctuary from this overload and this chaos, the church is often chosen to mimic and amplify society's frenzy and sickness. Instead of the church living a different story, a story centered around different values, different priorities, instead of being a vibrant contrast culture, the church has become complicit in the endemic disconnection, complexity, and noise. Hearing those charges leveled against the church as a whole, do you, have you seen that? The church has been like, hey, this is what the world's doing. We've got to do it and show the world that Christians can be cool. That church can be fun. You know, that we've got to get ourselves a midget with a broom too. We've got to do what they're doing. Instead of uh, living a different story, we've just played along. So today, may we awaken to the fact that conformity to a sick society is to be sick. Conformity to a sick society is to be sick. And may we also awaken to the opportunity that we have as believers in Jesus to rediscover and model a new yet very old way of living. A new and a new yet very old way of life. This, this ancient future way forward marked by intentionality, vision, integrity, and wholeness. We have opportunity, invitation in fact, to live in an ancient future way that is marked by intentionally, intentionality, vision, integrity, and wholeness. In other words, simplicity. Simplicity. Now, previously in our Imprint 2022 series, we have discussed the inner disciplines, the inner disciplines of Scripture study and meditation, prayer, and then fasting. These inner spiritual disciplines, they lay the foundation for healthy interaction with and expression of the outer disciplines, the outer spiritual disciplines of simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. Simplicity, solitude, submission, and service. So today, as we begin transitioning from the inward disciplines to the outward disciplines, we must be open to the opportunities that lay before us, but also the dangers. 
you're going to notice kind of a theme here that every spiritual discipline is a double-edged sword. Good and bad, opportunity and danger lies in the spiritual disciplines. Simplicity is dangerous. Simplicity is the most outward of the disciplines. It is the most outward of the disciplines, and thus it is the most readily, readily noticeable. Noticeable in its effect on how we live our lives. Pursuing the spiritual discipline of simplicity starts to have outward effects on how we live, the choices we make, what we say yes to, what we say no to, and therein lies the danger. Simplicity is most susceptible to corruption. Our pursuit of spiritual discipline of simplicity is the most susceptible to corruption by things like pride, by a smug and haughty attitude. And this happens most regularly when we attempt to practice things like simplicity in isolation from the other spiritual disciplines, specifically the inner disciplines. The practice of simplicity, it must be rooted in the foundational inward disciplines of prayer, scripture study and meditation, and fasting. Don't attempt to pursue simplicity if you're unwilling to pursue prayer, scripture study and meditation, and fasting. Let's look at the Word. Let's start by hearing Jesus' wisdom here. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And here we find Jesus speaking to, uh, ultimately, the value of simplicity. But more than that, the value of freedom from fear and anxiety. I know no one here deals with fear and anxiety. But just at a theoretical level, maybe you can just, like, smile and nod. Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is the lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more, are far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you, what? Everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough 
for today. This is a well-known passage. I don't think anybody here today was like, well, I've never heard that before. No, we've heard that. And thankfully, we are familiar with Jesus' words, guidance, His counsel on how we live, how we relate to money, how we relate to uh, fear and anxiety. It's a well-known passage, and in it, Jesus identifies uh, the, the, the primary foes of simplicity. What are the primary foes of simplicity that Jesus identifies here? Fear of uncertainty and worry about tomorrow. In verse 25, fear of uncertainty and worry about tomorrow. Just by a show of hands, is this a regular fear in you? Fear of uncertainty and worry about tomorrow. And some of us really struggle, we feel consumed, overwhelmed, so often just by the sheer fact of worrying about tomorrow. Jesus goes on then to share the primary antidote for this fear and anxiety that complicates our lives and steals our joy and leads to frantic living. Uh, verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. It's a simple a succinct, but it's an antidote, the one Jesus wants us to hear. The central point of the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If we were all to stand around Jesus and say, Jesus, what's the key? What's the core truth of this? He would say the key to simplicity, the central point of the discipline of simplicity is to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Why is this? Why is that the answer? It's because when we seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then and only then will everything necessary come in to you, come to you uh, in its proper time, its order, and His way. Because we're laying all of our fears, all of our anxieties, all of our needs, real and perceived, before the Lord and saying, God, you handle this. You take this. You be my provider in this. To seek first the kingdom of God is to desire above all else to enter into, to submit to, and participate in the ever-increasing rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to, to seek first the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is the ever-increasing rule and reign of Jesus Christ, incorporating our lives, integrating our lives more and more into that ever-increasing rule and reign. Entering in, submitting to, participating in. We seek His righteousness by, very practically, embracing Scripture's teaching, keeping faithful company with Him through the ongoing practice of prayer and obedience. There's two parts to what Jesus says. says seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So ours is to look for it, to look to it, to embrace it, and to live according to it. This is key. Everything hinges on this truth from Jesus. It's about keeping the first thing first. And Jesus says the first thing is to seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Keep the first things first. Nothing else can come before God's kingdom in our life, including, including the pursuit of the spiritual disciplines. We can't put the cart before the horse. We can't pursue the spiritual disciplines ahead of our desire to pursue the kingdom of God. We can't put the pursuit of the spiritual disciplines or a desire for a simpler or more distraction-free lifestyle as the goal. That's a way that we're working toward engaging, honoring, and entering into the kingdom of God. 
Richard Foster explains it this way. Nothing else can be central. Nothing else in this pursuit, nothing else can be central. The desire to get out of the rat race, it cannot be central. The redistribution of the world's wealth cannot be central. The concern for ecology cannot be central. Seeking first God's kingdom is the only thing that can be central in the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Hear this. A person living without things, is no, there's no, it's no guarantee that a person living without things is living simply. Okay, sometimes we look outward and like, oh, they're living without stuff. They must be a, living a simple lifestyle. But a person living without things is no guarantee that he or she is living simply. Focus upon the kingdom produces that necessary inward reality that cultivates true simplicity. Focus on the kingdom. Without this inward reality being real in you, your efforts will degenerate. They will degenerate every time into a new form of legalism. Turning something as inviting and life-giving as simplicity into yet another religious rule-keeping exercise. It will turn into a form of legalism, and in that, we will ultimately miss true simplicity altogether. Sad story. The end, right? We don't want to yet again take something good, a gift from God, an opportunity, and turn it into another soul-crushing, soul-killing religious exercise, do we? So be careful here. So what is simplicity? Our working definition of simplicity is, is as follows. Simplicity is the gift of living simply and living free. Simplicity is the gift of living simply and living free, free from anxiety and fear, free from the bondage of excess and of gluttonous attitudes, free to fully trust God and to seek His kingdom. I'll read that again. Simplicity is the gift of living simply and free free from anxiety and fear, free from the bondage of excess and gluttonous attitudes, free to fully trust God and seek His kingdom. Richard Foster, uh, who wrote The Celebration of Discipline, he takes this definition even further. He says, Freedom from anxiety is characterized by three inner attitudes. If what we have we receive as a gift... And if what we have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is available to others, then we will possess freedom from anxiety. This is the inward reality of simplicity. Three good insights, and I want to hit them again here. Freedom from anxiety is characterized by three inner attitudes. If what we have, we receive as a gift, and if what we have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is available to others, then we will possess freedom from anxiety. This is the inward reality of simplicity. So Foster here identifies three inward attitudes of simplicity. The inner attitudes of simplicity, which do what? They help bring freedom from anxiety. Freedom from anxiety. He points out... To, to, to be able to receive, to receive what we have as a gift from God, that's number one. Number two, to know it's God's business, not ours, to care for what we have. Three, to have our belongings available to bless others. That makes sense, right? To receive what we have as a gift from God. We work, yes. We work hard. But we know that it is not our work that gives us what we have or what we need. Our work is meaningful. 
It should be rewarding, but it is not our lifeline. We work, and we work hard, but we know it is not our work that gives us what we truly need. What we have is not the result of our labor, but it is the result of God's gracious care for us. Is that a mindset that you often have? In the mundane, <laughs> you know, work-a-day stuff where you're just in the cubicle farm or you're out swinging a hammer or whatever, do you see it as, hey, this is, a, this is one of the ways that God is extending His gracious care in my life through His provision. We receive what we have as a gift from God. That changes how we go to work tomorrow, right? If we understand that this is one of the ways God's goodness is showing up in my life and how He's providing, uh, He's given me a gift here. Secondly, it is to know it is God's business, not ours, to care for what we have. It is God's business, not ours, to care for what we have. God is able to protect what we possess so we can trust Him. Okay, ultimately, He, he gives it and He can sustain it. Okay, God is able to protect what we possess. It is common sense to take normal precautions. Don't be careless, don't be reckless, don't be a fool, right? But we ultimately look to God to sustain, to satisfy, and to preserve us. It's pointless to labor in vain if God's not with you. It's pointless to watch and be a watchman on the tower guarding your stuff if God isn't with you, God isn't doing it. I mean, look to God first. Um, one time, my friend Jason, this was years ago, but he had an old kind of junky Jeep Renegade, like the old like you know Wrangler. It was super loud, totally needed mufflers. But anyway, we were driving around one time, one day in the summer, the top was off. Uh, I'm riding with him. I'm in the passenger seat, and there's a box in the floorboard. And since I'm leggy, I wanted to get some leg room, so I go to scoot this box over with my, my foot, and the box barely moved. And it's not that big of a box, but it wouldn't move. You know what was in the box? Gold. In his junky, topless Jeep, driving around Springfield, there's a box with gold in it. Jason was, was and is a little bit of a prepper, so he was like investing in gold. But he's got it in his floorboard, a box of gold. And I asked him, like, why is this box so heavy? He's like, oh, it's, I've got my gold in there. Like... You've got your gold in the floor. <laughs> what? Why? He's like, oh, I'm, I just need to put it in my safe later today. But in the meantime, he's running errands, parking this Jeep with a box of gold in the floorboard. <laughs> and I know that was probably a little bit foolish, but it kind of captured to me. It's like Jason is planning, he's preparing, but he's not that concerned. If someone came ultimately and took this box of gold, his life wouldn't be upended. He wasn't like Smaug in The Hobbit, like sleeping on top of his pile of gold, like always on the lookout, always watching, making sure no, no nasty hobbitses come and take some of the gold. Uh, he was kind of weirdly, strangely, kind of recklessly open-handed with the box of gold in his floorboard. So, knowing it's God's business, not ours, to care for what we have, okay? So, first, to receive what we have as a gift from God. Second, to know it's God's business, not ours, to care for what we have. And third, to have our belongings available to bless others. This one can be real hard. We work hard for what we have, and we don't uh, want other people coming along and messing it up. Or ruining it, breaking it, right? Um, if our stuff, which is truly given by God, if it isn't available to others when it's right and when it's needed, guess what? Your stuff is stolen goods. God gave it to you as a blessing with the intention that you would be willing to bless others. And if you say no, that stuff becomes 
stolen goods. That's convicting. We need to think carefully then, especially about those things that we guard and we treasure most. What is God calling us to do with these things? Our, what, is he, uh, what, are, what is our attitude supposed to be toward these things? And what is it actually? Uh, I used to have a real problem with this. Lawnmowers. Um, when we had planted our church, uh, our, our, our church was full of college students. Uh, college students who were graduating college, eventually moving into their own, apart their own houses for the first time. Things like that. The first time ever they had a lawn that they had to take care of. And I started getting asked a, a particular question. Pastor Adam, can I borrow your lawnmower? And that ran right up against my bad attitude. It ran up against my fear, my, my, my like, no. I need that lawnmower to not be screwed up. So I fought it, and I fought it. And the, and the lawnmower is just, a, uh, just an example. There's so many other ways. I even struggle with this now. But I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, Adam, as a spiritual discipline, when someone asks you to borrow your lawnmower, you say yes. And I even made the mistake of telling our church this. It's like, guys, help me grow in this area. Ask to borrow my lawnmower. And they started asking, and uh, there was a girl in our church that lived with three other girls from the church, uh, Mary, <laughs> I think borrowed my lawnmower one time, and was so careful, so conscientious, uh, the grass had been a little bit wet, and so when she was done mowing, she decided to turn the mower upside down and clean all the grass clippings out from under the deck, uh, unknowingly flooding the engine completely with gas and oil, uh, so that it wouldn't start and had to be taken apart and cleaned. But anyway... <coughs> Worst nightmare came true, but in that I learned my life is not defined by how well I take care of my lawnmower. My life is better spent and I, others are better served by me being open-handed and gracious with a lawnmower. It's a lawnmower. I don't want to be seen as a jerk because I'm stingy with my lawnmower. Anyway, so at that point I said, guys, help me grow in this. Ask to borrow my lawnmower. And they borrowed my lawnmower quite a bit. I read one time that there are two types of poverty. There are two types of poverty in this world. The first type of poverty is the poverty of having nothing and lacking what you truly need. That, my friends, is poverty. But the second kind, I would, I would hazard to say, is even worse. It is the poverty of being unwilling to share what you have with others. There's a deep, soul-killing poverty in that. To have enough and be unwilling to share it with others. Why is this so hard for us? Why am I telling you stories about lawnmowers? <laughs> Why are you nodding along because you understand? Why is this so hard for us? Why is holding our belongings in an open hand so difficult for us? Why is it such a struggle to make our stuff available to someone else? <laughs> Here's what I think. We often selfishly cling to our stuff because we are anxious about tomorrow. We're anxious about tomorrow. I can only speak as a dad, as a man who has a family to care for and like others to care for and stuff. And so I'm always thinking about tomorrow. I'm future oriented. It's like, oh, what about this? What is my decision today going to, what effect is it going to have on tomorrow? Fear, anxiety about tomorrow. We harbor a deep-seated scarcity mindset. 
Are you familiar with that phrase, scarcity mindset? This intrinsic gut-level fear of not having enough, of being caught in a situation and not having what you need, not having enough. We harbor a deep-seated scarcity mindset that hinders our ability to live open-handedly. It hinders our ability to be free to give and receive generously. A scarcity mindset. But, here's the thing, when we begin to see God as creator, yes, but also sustainer, things start to change. We become more free to trust, more free to share with others, because we are more able to believe that God can and will take care of us. He will take care of us. He will provide what we truly need day by day. So, We've talked a little bit about the inner attitudes of simplicity. We've discussed how those attitudes can free us from anxiety and fear and ultimately transform what we seek uh, and, and really change how we live. Next week, we're going to turn the corner a little bit and we're going to explore the outward expressions of simplicity. How this starts taking shape in our shared life with others. The outward expressions of simplicity. We will unpack the ways the inner attitudes of simplicity begin to show up in our moment-by-moment decisions, our values, and our lifestyle. That sounds pretty exciting, right? So I hope you'll come back for that. But for now, this is probably enough. Let's press pause. Let's stop here. Why? Because I think what has already been said is enough to give rise to a lot of feelings in us. For you, there may be certain feelings kind of bubbling to the surface because of what we've already discussed, what we've already talked about. It's given rise to many feelings, but I hope it's given rise to a certain hopefulness as well. I hope in the midst of it you are hearing invitation. Opportunity lies here, lies ahead. I hope that there is a bit of a longing in you maybe a stirring of conviction, and maybe, yes, maybe there is a bit of guilt and frustration with how you've been living. You know, they say discontent is the first necessity of progress. You have to become dissatisfied with how things are if you're ever going to take that first step towards something new, toward a new way of living or doing. So be hopeful, my friends. Be hopeful. All these things that are rising within you because of this talk, they can and will be put to good use by God. They'll be put to good use. May longing for a real kingdom-centered simplicity, may it stir in you. And may you be attentive to that conviction you're feeling uh, about the way you've been living. May you fully acknowledge the discomfort about what you've been seeking. So you recognize you've not been seeking God's kingdom. You've not been pursuing righteousness. It's been about you. It's been about your reputation. It's been about your accumulation. It's been about your comfort. It's not been about God and His kingdom and His righteousness. So understand that. Acknowledge that. Call it by its proper name. Acknowledge where there's fear. Acknowledge where there is anxiety and that it's shaping your behavior. Uh, acknowledge that scarcity mindset that you may have inherited from your parents, who maybe inherited it from their parents. Scarcity thinking can really come down through the generations in your family tree. So be honest about it. You have to call it by its proper name. 
May all these things you're feeling, may they motivate you towards something greater, toward a renewed, restored, and healed vision. May the things you're feeling today, in light of Scripture, motivate you toward Christ and His kingdom. That's my hope for you. As we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, may we discover the life and the peace-giving relationship that is offered to us through faith in Jesus. And may we learn to live simply, to live freely, and to, to hold all that we have generously in open hands as things that have been graciously received and are to be graciously given. May we freely receive, may we freely give, may we be free from anxiety and fear, may we be alive in hope and joy, may we become more and more willing to bless others with all that God has given to us. May we learn bit by bit, moment by moment, to rest in the care and provision of our God who lovingly sees all the sparrows and clothes all the flowers. That's the God we're talking about here. The one when Jesus had opportunity, he said, Hey, God knows every single sparrow in the field here. When it rises, when it falls, when it's born and when it dies. The flowers, he shapes each one again and again and again. He sees it grow. He clothes it in beauty that can't be even matched by King Solomon. How much more does he care for you? This is the God we serve. The one who sees the sparrows and clothes the flowers. There's an old shaker hymn. That, 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 that states it this way. And maybe this is the, uh, the song that should ring in our hearts. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where you ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Holy smokes that He would speak right into our human condition. He would speak right into our human hearts that are so easily overtaken by fear and anxiety, about worry, about insecurity, uncertainty. God, we've been through some years, holy moly, that have really stoked that fear and anxiety, the fear of loss or the fear of scarcity, of not having enough, of, of being exposed and, and uh, overextended and not being able to have what we need. And God, we've been living this way for so long that I think we can't even recognize it anymore. Some of us have been living with fear and anxiety for so long, so uncertain, so closed-handed, that we can't even remember, we can't even imagine what it would be like to open our hands and to live trusting, to live blessing others. So God, I pray that uh, you'd do the necessary work in our heart, the, uh, a renovation in our spirits. God, help us to understand that what we have, we've received from you, and it's a gift. May we also be able to trust that not only did you give it, but uh, you, can, you can sustain it. You can preserve it. You will, you will maintain us. You will sustain us through our lifetimes. And then ultimately, ours is to be blessing others, holding it in open hands, making sure it's available to others. God, deliver us from the poverty of having more than we need and being unwilling to share. Lord, I pray you be attentive, be sensitive to the things we're feeling in our, in our hearts and minds right now, that the trusting your Holy Spirit is at work, and that you can effect a good work in us even now, starting today. May we see the world that lies before us, the opportunities, the relationships, 
as opportunity. May we go to work tomorrow differently with a different understanding about what that work means. When we receive our paycheck, may we understand it in a new way, that it's a gift, a sign of your caring for us, your gracious care. And may we hold everything and treasure it, but be willing to share it with others. Lord, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. And we're going to worship a bit more. And this is a chance to sit with the Lord. Maybe lay these things out before Him and say, God, i got to grow here. There's some hard, unrepentant parts in my heart that make it difficult for me to share. I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a family that, that was uh, super generous or felt like we had a ton to give others that was willing to risk it by letting others use our stuff or make big asks of the things we had. Maybe that's you. But God is in the business of breaking generational chains of uh, dysfunction, of fear and anxiety, and I, and I trust that He can do that today. So let's make ourselves available. That's my prayer for you. Let's stand and worship God.